Hello, my name is Liva Bonnevi and this is episode 3 from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. In this reposted episode from my Norwegian podcast, you'll meet Stormy May, an American horsewoman many surely would recognize as the director of the acclaimed documentary The Path of the Horse. Stormy used to be an accomplished competition rider and an ambitious horse trainer, but she's no longer riding her horses. And to pick up a metaphor from my first podcast episode, Stormy chose not to bring neither saddle, bridle, halter, nor iron shoes when she crossed the bridge from our world and entered the world of the horses. I've really been looking forward to invite you to this talk. Um, we met for the first time in 2011 at Tina's place in Dream Valley. Uh, had a very interesting conversation and now it's been almost 10 years. And I'm really curious to know about where you stand with horses now and and how your journey has been since we last spoke. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's a big question. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a big life. Um, yeah, and thank you for asking those kind of questions because that's that's how we can go deeper when we learn from each other, you know, what we've seen, what we've experienced. Um, so I guess, you know, if people have seen the Path of the Horse documentary, then they kind of know where I was 14 years ago. Um, and since then, I would say the path has gotten deeper and more into human development and seeing the horses as teachers and not as something you're going to control and manipulate it's there really are really our elders they've been here longer on earth than we have and i think they are haven't lost a lot of the connection to nature and connection to nature's innate wisdom and guidance that we have so it's really turning the whole horse paradigm on its head from, you know, how can we use them for riding? How can we use them for sport? How can we use them for work? How can we use them even for companionship into how can they teach us? How can they lead us? How can we turn around and honor them for their own natural qualities, not what we can train them to do, but I mean, even if you want to take that metaphor, what, what can they train us to do? What can they help us recover that we have lost in our, in our domestication, you know, in our living in boxes and having hot and cold running water and electricity and cars? We've gone farther and farther away from that, that ability to really tune into nature in the moment and feel, feel where that guidance is that is nature that is what beats our heart that is what breathes us so by partnering with horses in this way we can we can learn from them by something as simple as just spending time in the pasture with them you know it's it's not about how can you get them to half pass it's it's how can i slow down enough to listen to them to understand them to have this this beautiful two-way conversation with them where they can say yes, they can say no, and it's all good. You know, I, I don't feel any worse when they say no to something I suggest than when they say yes to it. It's all an opportunity for learning and growth. But the journey um, 
to get there to that point where we are able to be silent when when we are able to find kind of rest in our busy lives and meet the horses i mean in my um, experience a lot of people uh, I, i published a book right around the time you came with path of the horse and um, there are similarities between our projects and people will come to me and they've said i read your book and it's I can see that it's right, you know, that it is possible to have that kind of a connection with a horse, but um, it's too hard. It's too much work <laughs> and it's easier not yeah. to. It's like with the with Matrix, with the Neo and he's offered a blue pill and a red pill. And if you take the blue mm-hmm. pill, you can have the ignorant bliss. And if you take the red pill, then then it's going to be an inconvenient truth. And it's no turning back once you've taken the red pill. And I think in my experience, a lot of people say I, I stick with the blue. And uh, I've, for what it's worth, swallowed the red one. And once you've done it, it's too late to turn back. Is that also your experience or how how does that feel for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great metaphor for what it is. And and for me, just to make it real tangible for people listening, it's like you you come, you know, it's like, oh, yes, I love riding horses. It feels great. And it's there's such harmony. But if you actually know an individual horse, there's a lot of moments that make that up, you know? Okay, so you're going to put the saddle on, you're going to tie them up, you're going to put the halter on, you're going to put a bridle on or something. And in all those moments, the horse may say, yes, okay, or the horse may say no. And if the horse says no, are you going to then be the kind of person that finds other ways to manipulate them into that yes? And that's kind of the core of it, is is who are you? And most people really don't, even people who work with horses long amounts of time, they don't really come to this red pill, blue pill moment because they're riding horses who are already trained. You know, if you want to get a horse, you look around and you buy one that's nicely trained and you just get on and go. And it can really seem like, yeah, the horse likes this. You know, he's excited to get out of his stall and he's you know, walking down the trail and he seems happy, you know, he puts his head in the bridle, you know, like what could be wrong? Um, but for me, I was, I was specializing in starting young horses and retraining horses. And some of them were, you know, did seem to like, okay, that's fine. We'll do it. No biggie. But some of them were just not okay with it. And especially 14 years ago, the alternatives were get stronger or send them to somebody else who's going to get stronger. Meaning, you know, you have to show them who's boss. You, ha- you can't get away with that, you know, do it over and over and over until they give up, which is basically learned helplessness. And I just thought that was normal. I mean, that's, that's what everybody taught. But then, you know, for me, it was a couple different mares that I had. One was my own and one was sent to me for training that just were not okay with it. And the one that was my own, honestly, I, I'm ashamed to say it, but we fought for 11 years before I finally said, okay, I get it. <laughs> Riding is not something that is for you. And it's not, I mean, I loved her. Obviously, I wouldn't have spent that much time with her if, if I didn't. Um, but it, it took, I, I'm really stubborn. <laughs> I've, I've softened a bit now. But then the other one I got um, kind of at the end of what I would call my training career. And for her, it it took me about a year. And I I could get to where I could ride her, but it was always manipulation. Still have her. She's um, 
17 now, and this was when she was three, and she, she was just saying, no, 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 no. And, and you know, again, I was, I was good. I was the gentle trainer, so I could kind of manipulate her into it. But, you know, she was supposed to be sold as a kid's pony, and that was just not an ethical thing for her or any kid that would have gotten to work with her. So at that time, you know, this was right as I was making the path of the horse, I said, well, you know, I'm not going to send her to somebody else because I know what's going to happen. I'm going to figure this out. And that's when I sold my ranch. I, I sold, you know, everything that I had that was of value other than the horses and just stopped the way I was doing things, which included stopping riding for a period of time to explore, you know, what, what is our relationship like when writing just isn't even part of it and that's where the horses started to open up and 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 show their true selves which weren't afraid to say no although she wasn't afraid to say no but um that were more their true being which is they're very peaceful beings they love to be in harmony with nature they love their their friends and their, their, you know, the grass, they love the trees, they love the sun and the nighttime. So as, as I started trying these new ways with horses, you know, based on what I had found through the different people that I had watched and interviewed in the Path of the Horse documentary, and, and many that I've met since then, you know, just, just trying different ways. And the, the core was, I don't want to be a person who hurts a horse. So I don't want to even pull on a halter if I don't, if it's not truly in their best interest. You know, yes, if there's a fire and I need to get them in the trailer, I'll do whatever it takes. But most of our lives aren't that. So what does it look like when you don't have a halter on, when you don't need to be exercised by me, when you get enough exercise out in the field? And the longer I was doing that, the more I felt, first of all, this feels right in my heart. This is, this is the person I want to be. Um, and the horses confirmed it. Yes, we like you a lot better when you're, when you're acting like this versus when you're tying us and kicking us and, you know, pulling us this way and that way. Um, but then, you know, the kind of the core fear of that is, well, what will become of you if, something happens to me and you have to be sold, you know, you're going to be, have a better life if you can be ridden. And I had to question that. Is that true? I don't know. So, so I, I went the other way and just said, I'm not, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to honor your choices. I'm going to honor your no and see how we can grow together, how we can learn together. Not even that they have to learn how I can learn from you. Um, and that's where I found like the real journey is just coming up against my own beliefs, my own concepts of what it's like to be with a horse, which pretty much the only influences we have these days are you ride them. You go to a riding school, you learn how to ride, or you watch YouTube videos about how to, how to control your horse's feet or, you know, how to how to get them in the trailer or how to do this or how to do that. But it's, it's not, it, I mean, the, the fundamental premise is I need the horse to serve me. And 
honestly, I'm still, the horse is still serving me, but now it's in my own growth and compassion and empathy, not how can I manipulate your physical body? Do you think, because this is, this is where I kind of, what, what happened after we last met was that I bought myself a new horse and this was a fresh horse, not a planned thing. I just met him in a field and uh, I had to bring him home. Uh, and luckily for me, and I wouldn't say it's lucky, more faith maybe, um, he, um, he didn't want to be ridden. Not comfortable with riding at all. Um, so I spent two and a half years on the ground with him. Uh, and um, for people who have not been into this kind of thing at all, it must have been, or I, I could tell that it was strange for them. But to me, it's, it's no longer possible to just get on. Uh, I have to know that we are in it together in a way. And for two and a half years, I thought I may never ride him. But what happened was that when we were out in the forest together, because I did a lot of stuff with him from the ground, um, then he wanted to go fast and I can't go that fast. So then I kind of saw a reason for riding him. Um, and then I started to ride him very gently and very, like if you are on a two hour trail ride, then it would be effectively maybe 20, 30 minutes riding and the rest of the time will be walking. So basically more or less get on when, when it goes too fast, <laughs> because I, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it has nothing to do, do my, even with my best of will, I, I can't go that fast. So, so that kind of was an incentive to get on him again and, and see how that works. And it was really a question of, like you say, it's so many pieces in the process when you are supposed to ride a horse with a bridle, with a saddle, with everything. And to kind of listen to all the little things, like it took me probably a year to find a saddle that was okay. Took me another year to find some solution with the reins that was okay. Uh, but still, it's not, I can never go back to ride like I used to do before. Just get up and ride, ride, ride. Um, but it's, I think when you describe it as you know, putting on a halter, putting on a bridle, putting on a saddle and having that jerking and kicking, I'm thinking riding can be a lot more than jerking and kicking. And it can be also soft and it can also be communication. But I think it's, when you say manipulation, it's really... That's where I'm really looking for that balance to see when is it really, truly we're doing this together and when is it just my, yet another idea from my, you know, from my side going, I really want to ride, ride let's go. It's, I think it's, that's really the area where I kind of find myself searching these days to find that balance. I've, I've ridden him really little from like from the fall last year and up to now, it's like, seven, eight months where it's been probably not so good for him because he gets a bit fat, especially during the summer. So I'm, and then that's also a concern with EMS and stuff, you know, um, because I need to keep him healthy. But if I take him away from the grass, okay, he gets thinner, but then you have the psychological thing, you know, he needs to be with his friends. So I, I think it's, there's so many things and, and um, uh, aspects to take into the equation. 
when it used to be mm-hmm. i mean when i started writing when i was 13 i was such a good writer i mean i've i've never been better than when i was 13 and you just put on the saddle and, and a saddle was a saddle a bit was a bit hey was hey and hoof was hoof and, and a shoe was shoe <laughs> and now it's like it's mm-hmm. rocket science everything is rocket science so so personally i i um i still find myself searching to find that right place because when I, I had a really exper- interesting experience with him last week, I, I took him out for, a, I think we were away for like two hours, and I kind of challenged him a little. Uh, I think it's important to, to challenge him to a point where I know that I'm not challenging him, uh, so it feels comfortable for him, but still I move him a little. And when I come to the pasture the next day, when I've done that, he always comes charging. He wants to go. So they also need and like to grow with us. So kind of looking for that balance where, where we're not getting greedy again or where we're not taking mm-hmm. advantage again, but when we find, you know, balance in our on and off the horse kind of thing. It's, it's complicated, but I think, mm-hmm. I think you of all people know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely the way I explored that, you know, back kind of in 2009, after I'd stopped riding for a while. And then the the idea was then you get back on, but you do it with the horse being willing to do it. Um, and to me, the, the ultimate challenge was, can I do this with no tack? Can I just walk up to a rock and have the horse come and say, sure, get on my back, let's go. And then I just get on, no bridle, no saddle, no cordeo, no nothing. And feel safe enough that the horse is truly my partner and we can do this together. And I did get to that point, especially with the horse that you see me with in the path of the horse, Patrick. Um, You know, at that point, it had been almost two years of no riding. You know, I had started him and we were doing dressage and little jumping, but then then I started doing more what Nevzorov does and stopped the riding and just did everything without tack and he didn't need to be exercised. He was out in a big pasture with his friends. Um, And so to me that proved that maybe not with every horse, but some horses have this sense of like, oh, this is fine. This is not, not a problem for me. And of course we weren't going anywhere. We were just in the pasture that he lives in. So it's not like I needed to control him other than just to make me feel safe. But for me, that safety came because we were we were having a c- conversation. And for example, if he started going too fast and I was worried, I would just jump off, you know, before he got to going too fast. <laughs> um, and then he'd stop immediately and look back at me and say, why are you off? And then we'd walk back to the rock and I'd get back on. So he learned that he can't go too fast, otherwise I'm just gonna jump off. And that's not what he was looking for. But then with other horses, they just didn't say yes, you know, whether it's they had been too traumatized or they had stuff structurally or, or, you know, muscularly going on that made it uncomfortable for them. They just said no, and I honored that no. Um, And I think part of what made it easy for me to honor that no is I had already been a professional horse trainer for like 30 years. So it's not like I still really had this urge, I got to ride, I got to ride. It was like, eh. You know, riding's hard on a person too. It's it's hard on your lower back. It's hard on your shoulders. It's you know, it's physically yes, we can do it for therapy, but that's a very different type of riding than most of us riders do. Um, so 
you know, I, I hear where, where you're, it sounds like your dilemma is you, you really believe that he will have a better quality of life if you do ride him a little bit. You know, he'll get out to go, go further and go faster on these trails where he wouldn't get to go if you weren't on him. And that's, that was what I was re-examining. You know, is it really in the horse's best interest or is this something that's still, it's for me, but it's not so bad for them you know, and, and everybody's going to answer that differently. And even, you know, people try and categorize, categorize me and say like, oh, she's against riding. It's like, I don't know. I, I haven't met your horse. I haven't met all horses. The horses that I know and I've worked with, it, it's, it's not, it's not something that I see adds to their quality of life because they're living in areas where they don't, they don't need that. They get enough exercise for what their living environment is. You know, if a person only has the resources to keep their horse in a stall in a small paddock, then that is a real question. You know, do they need to get out? Do they need forced exercise or, you know, extra exercise in order to be fit for whatever, to not get laminitis or not to get EMS or not to get whatever? And that's where, again, it comes back to what are your beliefs? You know, like um, I'm, I'm teaching a new course right now called Heartful Horse Connections. And we explore these beliefs. How much training does my horse need? How much exercise does my horse need? How much hoof care does my horse need? How much vet care does my horse need? Because when you get down to the, the fundamental level, we don't know. We'll never know. You know, like if you never rode your horse again, would he be healthier and happier than the way you're doing it? You don't know unless you try it. And you did, you gave two and a half years to trying no riding and you, you got what you got. And now you're, you're trying a little bit and you're getting what you get. So if it's, I mean, it, it comes down to you and your relationship. And if you're feeling, oh, this is good, this is fine, he's happy, I'm happy, no problem. <laughs> it's your life, do it. Um... But if you still have that little voice that comes in, it's like, is this really the right thing? I mean, because even anytime you're riding, there's there's an increased chance of injury, you know, whether it's to his back or, you know, he steps in a hole or whatever, which, um, you know, out in the pasture, they can injure themselves as well, but they don't have the risk of the, you know, the compression of the, the musculature on the back or the spine, you know, the kissing spines, all that. Those are... Um, directly riding related, uh, or you could even say trailering, you know, is it, how safe is it to trailer a horse? You know, it, it's, it's probably a little bit more dangerous than driving a car because now there's a, a trailer behind the, the vehicle. Um, so if you're saying, yes, I'm doing it because he's going to be healthier, you have to kind of step back and say, I don't know because he might be injured in other ways that he wouldn't have been if I wasn't. And would he get EMS if you didn't ride him? I don't know. He lived for two and a half years without riding, and I'm guessing he didn't get EMS unless he did. He hasn't, but but he, you know, it's different with horses, how, how they, how the fat kind of, uh, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, yeah, it's, he, he has, he has the tendency, so I need to be aware. And, and, and definitely with, with, I mean, that's kind of like the, one of the, again, one of the fundamental things that horse owners come up against is 
and this happens to me all the time still, and luckily I know what to do with it, but this thought of, he's too fat, he's too skinny, his hooves need to be done. Like, just these little voices. And then when you can come back and step back and come from this perspective of inquiry, like, you, you really don't know. And then for me, I'll go and I'll look at my horse, and it's like, they're fine. <laughs> you know, he's fine. He, he doesn't have EMS right now. He doesn't have laminitis right now. So... That, that's that's where it's it comes back to you and you know we are their guardians we are making so many choices for them so this is where it's our responsibility to to really question and step out of the conditioned beliefs and just look at your horse is he happy and healthy right now happy healthy and a bit a little bit fat no it's just <laughs> it's just that I have his teeth done in October and then it's been out eating grass since June Mm-hmm. So, so whenever my veterinarian comes, he will always see him when he's at his fattest, and he will say, "This is this is unhealthy fat for a horse." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, you know, in my experience, that is correct. So it's just a matter mm-hmm. of how to deal with that. But I'd rather have him fat and happy, living a few years mm-hmm. shorter, than being very thin and, and perfectly trained and being miserable. Right. So it's right. that's an easy choice, but it's finding that balance, I think. You know, and there's other ways, just management-wise, you can set it up. Like um, my my pony does get laminitis, not every year, but sometimes. And one one thing I found that has worked really well this year, it seems to have worked, is setting up a track system. You know, so she can't just be in the whole pasture; she has to move around the track. So she's eating less, she's moving more, mm. and she doesn't have laminitis. So yeah. you know, riding is one option, but there's a lot of other management options that we can set up that that don't involve that hence i've been looking for my own farm for the last 10 years yes <laughs> yes because it's the dream yeah because if you're going to do stuff like that then you really need to have your own place or or, or yeah. with other people that have that already yeah one of the things i also wanted to talk to you about was uh, the experience of how important it is for horses that we have a silent mind because when I bought this lovely horse I have now, which I I really adore him, I let him out in the pasture for the first time and he kind of got acquainted with the other horses and I came back the next day and I sat down on a rock far away from the horses and just waited. And each and every horse came and greeted me and said hello, apart from my horse. And I was sitting there and sitting there and it took hours. And at some point I thought, let's just check the news and check Facebook and do something else. And when I looked up, there he was. So mm-hmm. he's that sensitive. <laughs> Such a blessing. Mm-hmm. So he could kind of feel the en- for sure, a lot of energy. I had, hadn't had my own horse in nine years. I was really excited. And he was saying, I'm not going there. So just when I said, never mind, I'll do something else, then he could approach me. And that was a really important first day lesson with that horse. And every time since, I've been trying to find that place where I can meet him silent because if I'm not, he's not going to come. So, mm-hmm. so he's been a great teacher, but I was wondering your experience about, you know, finding the silence inside a busy modern human life. Yeah, that's the key. And that's the fundamental place where people get stuck in with horses and in life is, you know, basically the opposite of the silent mind is one that's filled with all these concepts, all these, you know, beliefs from our parents, beliefs from media, beliefs from 
our teachers, our writing instructors, you know, how do we know what's, what's really true and what is relevant to our life? You know, everybody who has tried to shape us probably has our best interest in mind. They're really trying to help us, you know, even the vet, even the, the trainer, even the, the parents. But they're reporting on their experience, which might have been with different goals, might have been with different horses, might have been in a different time with different resources. So if we just keep repeating that, repeating that, we won't develop our own relationship or our relationship will just be, you know, fitting into somebody else's story. Whereas if you can get to that silent mind and you know, it's a, it's a mix of, of that silence and then inquiring into, you know, is this really true? Is this serving me? Is this where I want to go? Um, to break through those, those concepts and come up with, from that space of silence, something as subtle as, I feel like I should go walk over to that rock and sit for a few hours. You know, that's, that's something that, that's a solution that would come from a silent mind. Um, and, and then you find what the horse is really saying, because all of a sudden you've, you've surrendered. You're like, I don't know. I'm just going to sit here and see what happens. And then the horse has a space to come and connect. Um, but if you're, if you're looking for the new training technique or you're looking for advice from this person or that person, and it's not advice about here's how you quiet your mind and get past the concepts, then it's just going to be another, the same thing. And, and you can tell when it's that because it, it promises you something better when you've done it. So after you've learned this training system, then you will have a well-trained horse, then you will be happy. Or after, even after you get this new land, then you will be happy. Or after you finish this course, you will be happy. Or after you get this diploma, you will be happy. After you get the right job, you'll be happy. After you have enough money, you will be happy. If it's anything like that, it's not the silent mind. The silent mind is, where's the happiness and the joy and the love and the connection and the compassion, empathy, right now, today, in this minute? And that's, that's what the silent mind is. That's the, that's where nature can speak to us. And, and when I say nature, I mean, you know, that which we are part of, you know, like, like say nature is the whole body and we are this little fingernail. So the, what is that? <laughs> so the, so the quieter we are, the, the more we can hear what the whole body is saying, which isn't hit that horse, which isn't you know, force somebody to do what you want them to do unless they really need it, you know, push the kid out of the road so they don't get hit by the car. Um, but when we find techniques that can bring us to that silent mind, or you could say presence over and over again, then we're connecting back in with, okay, nature, what's the, what's my highest move now? What's my highest mood now? And it, it's, you probably won't get a, a verbal answer, but it'll just feel like, ah, this feels good. This feels right in my heart. This feels exciting to me. This feels like a creative solution. So, um, say you're, you're stuck on, my horse needs more exercise. If you could try and answer that through that silent mind, 
It's not going to be, oh, we'll do this training technique. This will get the fat off of him. It'll be, you know, let me try this. And then if it feels good and it's going the right direction, great, keep doing it. If it feels like, mm-mm, nope, that's not it, then that's the, the bigger body of nature saying, nope, this is not in harmony with, with this creation. If, you, if a person puts all their resources to learning this, it's kind of like the one thing that will make everything easy. But we're up against ourselves, and that's where, you know, I had to work with different mentors, and I suggest other people work with mentors because otherwise you're stuck with your own demons. You're stuck in your own head. Um, I mean, one of the characteristics of those voices in our head is they keep talking until we're right. You know, we're always right in our own head. But but if we can learn to get out of our own head and really tune into this greater body then it's it's no longer really you know trying to put the puzzle pieces together it's just being quiet until you feel oh I'm gonna go do this so tapping into the, the larger nature wisdom of nature which might come through what something a horse says or a dog says or a child says or a tree says um, so Yes, it's hard, but that hard is is basically the villain coming in and saying, oh, you know, this is a waste of time. You can't do this. You know, give up now. Just, just do that other technique. And if you're working with somebody who can catch that, who's been through that path and, and you know, knows what that looks like, they can say, are you sure about that? You know, you might want to experiment a little bit more because it sounds like the villain here. And, and when you have somebody that keeps pointing that out to you, all of a sudden you can start catching it yourself. And it's like, oh, there it goes again. Okay. And it's, it's not wrong or bad. It's what we're all up against. So, you know, it, it's, it's really a, a beautiful heart opening path, you know. So even if it's like, oh, my horse is telling me he never wants to be ridden again that's not a bad thing at all. That's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And look at all the stuff that we can do together out in the pasture. This is wonderful. This is like my meditation area or my sanctuary where I can be together with them and we're all happy. It's You don't feel bad about it. You don't feel like, oh, he's not living up to his full potential because we're not, not able to do this at all. It feels like, oh, this is so much better because, you know, finally I'm, I'm really listening to him and honoring him. And not, you know, still trying to manipulate in my, my devious little ways. <laughs> you do? Is that your experience? That's, that it's kind of luring on the, you know, slightly under the surface still? or? Um, well, for me these days, it would come up as, let me see if I can think of a good example. Um it would look like, um, this is a, more of a human example because it's more real right now, but say um, our 10-year-old our needs to do her homework and she doesn't want to do her homework and I think she needs to do her homework. And so am I, how much am I going to fight for her to do her homework? Am I, how much am I going to manipulate for her? her for her, or can I really step back in the moment and say, you know what, it would be better for me to let this go right now. 
you know, it would, it would strengthen our bond. She'll still learn what she needs to learn, but maybe today isn't the day. Or it, with the horse, you know, um, I'm out there and I want to pick out his feet just to look at his feet and make sure they're okay. But the horse is just saying no. Could I let that go for today? I mean, I'll probably ask again tomorrow and I might get a different answer. But can I really tune into the silence and that, that humility of, I really don't know if it's the best thing to push and just keep asking for the hoof because I think the horse needs to give it to me and he should obey and it's in his best interest. Or, you know, in this moment, could I just let it go? And then maybe in 10 minutes, he'll be like, oh, sure, no problem. Because part of developing this relationship is really honoring that no, whether it's with your kid or your partner or your horse. You know, can you really listen and hear that sometimes a no really needs to be a no. And and by you not being hurt or offended by it and just letting go control, could you end up with what we really want, which is this, this close, beautiful bond? Is that, is that what you're asking? Yeah, sort of. <laughs> so... Um... If I rewind to the short career I had when I did competitions with horses, uh, I did feel that I had a beautiful bond with my horse back then as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm, uh, what I, I, I really wish that it would po- would be possible, sort of, to 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 rewind and go back in time and and see what it was really like. Mm-hmm. Because all I know is what it felt like. From me exactly and that's where it's it's really hard to talk with other people about it if it's not something that's happening right now because you know I, I, I'm kind of a brain science nerd and we just remember all sorts of things that may or may not have actually been true so it's it's kind of like you just have to leave that behind and and just deal with what you have today and you know even even looking into the future, I, I try not to suggest things for people to try because who knows? It's, I'm not them. I'm not with their horse. I'm not in that relationship. But I can teach them how to find that still mind and how to inquire into themselves in that moment with, okay, this feels right. This feels not right. This feels expanding, relaxing, good. This feels, I don't want to be that person. So... Yeah, but there are no points handed out for inner growth. There are no ribbons, no rewards, no. Oh, I would say it's the opposite. It's the real. It's the real. Yeah, but I mean, it's if, the real ribbons. Yeah, but if you if you come from, let's say, if you if you go back thirty years, mm-hmm. then this we probably wouldn't have this conversation. We would be having another conversation. Would be my guess. Yeah, it it really wasn't on humans' radar. I mean, the the first, you know, I started riding in the 80s, and it wasn't till, you know, kind of mid-80s was when natural horsemanship was born, and that was, you know, supposed to be the solution, yeah. natural horsemanship, you know? That's good. That's what we want. We want nature. But then, you know, you do it, and you realize, oh, wait, this is the same thing. You're still increasing the pressure until the horse does what you want. Um so, you know, back then that was the conversation. How can you do it as gently as possible? But still Whereas, do it. 
Yeah, exactly. You're still manipulating. And that's honestly, that's where 99% of the horse world still is today. You know, how can you be the gentle horse trainer? How can you harmoniously ride and, and do run barrels and jump jumps? Um, which again, it's fine. You know, I was there for 30 years and, and, you know, I, I didn't have a problem with it until I did. But now, you know, that's kind of my big thing is, is, is I have moved way past that. And as I put my message out and share my story, there's people that are like, oh my gosh, yes, I knew it. You know, thank you for putting that into words. So it's not, I mean, I'm not really trying to convince anybody. I'm just saying, hey, here's what I found. And then the people that have felt that way too, or are, are, you know, suspicious that there might be something here, then they're like, oh, wow, thank you for for saying that I, I knew it all along yeah um i would also ask uh, like to ask you stormy uh, over the years where you've been with horses is there some particular thing that you've kind of picked up with them that you think it is really important that people know about horses yeah i would say that the big paradigm changing shift is how wise they are, how much wiser they are than us in many ways. And, you know, they can, they can live in nature better than we can. They can get along in their herds better than we can. Um, so really the humility of saying, I honestly don't have anything to teach you. Yes, I'll help you live in this human world by, you know, keeping you safe in this fenced area and you know, getting you in a trailer if you really need to move somewhere. But beyond that, you're the teacher. What, what, what wisdom do you have that I've lost? And it's almost like all I need to do is just give, per, give people permission that it's okay to just be with your horse. You know, you don't have to do these other things. And they're like, I knew it. I knew it. This feels so much better. And all they needed was somebody, you know, who has this background of experience of I've been there, I've done that, I know what it's like, and now try this. And then just to have, you know, it, it, at some level, we still want some external validation that this could be okay. And, and most of the horse world doesn't do that. And a huge turning point for me was actually in 2006 when I went to Russia and I met Alexander Nevzorov and his horses, that was the big thing, his horses. And those horses were, there was, uh, again, this is where words fail me. This is like this empowerment. Like they just, they came up to me and were like, hi, who are you? Rather than most horses, especially trained horses, the more trained, more trained horses, you know, you don't see it as much in babies or maybe miniature horses, but the ones who've been trained a lot, there's kind of a shutdown that you don't realize. You just think, oh, you know, he's nice, he's easy, he, whatever you do, he doesn't have a problem. But I came to see that that's, that's not really what a horse is. That's what we think the horse should be. But through meeting Alexander's horses, it's like, oh my gosh, there is so much more wisdom, grace, you know, connection in a horse that has been met as an equal and invited as a true partner or teacher. And so then I wanted to run home and say, okay, I want to do this with my horses. Can my horses, you know, some were more trained, some were less trained. Can I get them 
to this and it's it's like once once we give up most of our forms of control and manipulation they open up like they have so much more to say they have so much more wisdom to give and that's why you know right now I just have the two horses but when people meet them they're just blown away like this is a horse (laughs) I've never met another horse like this like they'll come up and full-on have conversations with you even if you haven't been around horses and you know it's it's one thing to just say that but it really is something to be experienced so by number one meeting Alexander's horses like that and now having my own horses like that and other people you know like Ren Hurst if you go and meet her horses it's oh my gosh this is this is what a horse really is when they are truly supported and empowered to be themselves they are these wise teachers um but we're so much conditioned to not see them like that and one of the exercises i love teaching is um for the first week we'll we'll watch how much baby talk we do you know do you say good boy or you know oh hey hey gorgeous how you doing you know like how much are you kind of talking down to them as an inferior as a child as a baby and then and then we'll we'll change that instead of baby talking we'll say thank you wise teacher for the lesson you're showing me which is the opposite it's now they're now they're the one up here and we're the one with a silent mind listening and watching for if they were teaching me a lesson right now what would it be so that's just a, a, a tangible example of how we just unconsciously are putting them down putting them down thinking that we're the ones that have to show them we're the ones that have the more knowledge and more wisdom but maybe not maybe they're the ones that have the keys that that we've lost that we're looking for so when we came to the stable age 10 we had the open mind we had everything we needed and then we had a riding teacher going here's the whip here's the reins and use them Uh, and then you have from that point on spent most of your time with horses that are basically shut down mentally because one of the challenges that I face when I you know try to kind of I have luckily like Tina our mutual friend Tina and and a handful of friends that deal with horses where we can have these kind of conversations because a lot of people have never seen a healthy balanced horse never Mm-hmm. And then, then you talk about something that is invisible, like like a you know like a huge void in, on the ground that you can fall into, and you say it's there, and they say I can't see it, and they just walk across and nothing happens. So it's it's, it's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, you feel like you're talking about ghosts or fairies or you know. So yeah. how how do you? I mean, you have the the two horses that will you know be the perfect example for people to see i've also experienced when i take my horse and ride with other people that they say oh your horse is very awake he's really special i'm like no he's he's just a horse <laughs> mm. yeah but but usually they they're not allowed to express themselves as horses so when you mm-hmm. are then you started at the age of 10 now you are maybe 30 35 40 maybe even and you're kind of feeling something is a little bit off but you can't really pinpoint what it is and your horse is mentally shut down so one way to start then would be just to change the way you look at him Mm -hmm. to kind of open that first door would that be your advice because i 
I know that a lot of people have that feeling. I mean, you've been there, I've been there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, um, you know, people get influenced in different ways. And certainly watching the path of the horse is something that really wakes people up yeah. to, oh my gosh, I didn't realize, but that's true. Um, another book I love to recommend is called Kinship with All Life by um, J. Allen Boone, and it was written in the 50s. And it's it's actually, it starts out talking about a dog that was, you know, a well-trained German shepherd, but, you know, really had, had this connection to this deeper wisdom and that the, the person who was taking care of him, who wrote the book, could see. And, you know, reading a book like that, I mean, it's kind of akin to reading Black Beauty. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize there might be so much going on from the horse's point of view or from the dog's point of view or you know, tapping into, again, us being the students and them being the teachers, recognizing that, that that something in them that we love isn't what we train into there. It's something that they have innately. So um, the movie, the book, and getting a mentor, you know, one, one big reason I also kind of went away from the horse training world is that I looked at the, the trainers that I respected the most and, you know, not just what can you do with horses, but what does your life look like? And it's like, mm, I don't want to be like that. <laughs> that's not, that's not who I want to be. So yes, I went and, and found the people in the path of the horse and some of them, you know, I want to be more like than others. But, but even beyond that, I went to human teachers, you know, who lives in a beautiful community that they've created where people get along, where people know how to work out their differences from a higher perspective, not, not rules and regulations, but the clear mind, the following nature, the, the really, you know, fundamental feeling that we are all one, we are all parts of the same body. And from those teachers, the ones that, that really could teach it the best, they all had exercises. They all had exercises that you do, you know, similar to meditation or yoga, but more ones that you do in everyday life. So you don't have to go sit for an hour. You don't have to, you know, do a yoga pose in the middle of a conversation. What are ways that we can wake up in a moment to, to check back in with ourselves, with, with nature, with, okay, what's the right path right now? So by finding those people, that's what really accelerated my journey after the path of the horse was finding these teachers it's like oh my gosh that's you know the way um people respect you and and really value your wisdom how do you do that and it came down to these exercises and the exercises you can see them as like doorways into presence doorways into letting go of old concepts tapping into nature so you know yeah start with a book and a movie but then really find a mentor who is living in a way that looks good to you. Maybe there's people in the horse world that do it. I, I haven't really found them, but I've tried to become one um, because that, that was the big hole that I saw was needed is, is how can, I mean, the, the stuff that I teach, yeah, it's, it's for horse people because that's who I know, but it's, it's not horse stuff. It's, it's human growth stuff because once we've grown enough, we can just talk with them directly. We don't need a trainer to tell us to do what to do because we're we're just talking directly to the horse in a metaphorical way, of course. 
So if I, if I hadn't have found those human teachers that took me even further than the ones that specialized with horses, I wouldn't have realized how this all goes together. And then once I found that with the human teachers, of course it applies to the horses because they are so much about already being connected to nature. So then everything just kind of fit together. And, and I, that's what I'm trying to bring to the world now is just all these different opportunities to learn how to get into presence, to quiet the mind, to hear for yourself, what to feel for yourself, what your next step is that feels amazing, that feels in alignment. I would like to end also this, um, this talk, uh, Stormy, to ask you about your new film project. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exciting. Because um, I, I so saw that you had some crowdfunding, you managed to get the money that you needed for that kind of phase in your production mm -hmm. plan. So yeah. what is the status on your new documentary project? Or is it, it was a series, mm -hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, it is going to be a series. We've gone back and forth. Is this gonna, just going to be one movie or is it going to be a series? But it's, it's pretty definitely going to be a series at this point. Um, and it's called Peace and Horses. And um, yes, of course, it'll be very relevant for horse people, but we're, we're making it so that anybody can really get it. And Uses, using the horses and, and horse training and such as more of a metaphor for, you know, growing and waking up in our own human lives, whether you're with horses or dogs or cats or, or not. Um, that, you know, we, we'd hoped to have it done before the coronavirus, but um, then that hit and it's like, oh my gosh, the world is changing. We need to just wait and craft it from a, a little further out so now that we've now that the world has shifted and that we're we're all kind of scrambling to see okay now how do we really want to make it now now that we've had this break and this kind of look at um our mortality you know <laughs> um i think it's going to be a much richer project and something that again is easy to share you know it's so much easier to say oh watch this series even easier than read a book or you know take this class so um definitely going to be giving out some of the exercises in there to get people you know understanding what this is like um but then also you know mix in the science mix in the spirituality mix in the 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 grand vision for where we can go with all this, um, which, which includes networking and, um, probably expanding sanctuary spaces, you know, whether it's animal sanctuaries or human sanctuaries, it's really kind of the vision that keeps coming to me of this is how we can create that world. You know, we, we all have our, well, not we all, but enough people have their own pieces of land that if, if we could, you know, expand the idea of sanctuary is going to create a lot more safe, healthy places for both people and animals to thrive. Mm. You're in the post-production process now. Is that on the pilot alone or is it on the complete series? The complete series. Okay. Yeah. Do you yep. have like a guesstimate about launch time or? <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that anymore. Every time I do, it's like, nope, that's not it. So, <laughs> okay. It would be super if it was this year. Yeah, okay. Um, that, that would be super. Yeah. Stormy, thank you very much for having this talk with me. My pleasure. Thank you for, for walking your talk. Yeah, and really 
best of luck with your project. I'm going to follow it closely. It's going to be very interesting to see where we've gone from Path of the Horse. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to the following, yeah, the follow up on that on that one. So yeah, thank you. So best of luck. Thank you very much. My pleasure. You have just heard episode three from Clan of the Horses, a podcast about horses and horse people. I want to thank my composer Fredrik Blom, my guest Stormy May, and last but not least, I want to thank you, dear listener, for your patience. May the horse be forever with you.